Our scripture reading today is Philippians chapter 2, and I'll begin reading with verse 12. As almost always, I want to encourage you to get into scripture, and a great thing to do this afternoon or sometime this week is just read all of Philippians chapter 2, because verses 1 through 11, 11 is, a, is poetry. It's poetry about Jesus, and many people think that even before scripture was written, there was, before Philippians was written, there was 20 years or more after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so for 20 years, the message of Jesus had been going around, and many people think that this poetry was something that could be remembered and was recited in the church. It tells us who Jesus was and what he did and how he left the throne above and came to earth to be with us and to make himself known. And then it tells us the goal of God. You ever think about God having a goal for you? God's goal is that we would be like Jesus. So verse 12 starts giving us the process of how that happens. Here's what Paul said, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not just when I'm present with you, but also when I'm absent, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So here's some practical words. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. I never read those words without thinking about Paul's day and about our day. If Paul's generation was a warped and crooked generation, what in the world would he say about ours? But God has a plan for us to be blameless and pure and for us to shine like stars in the sky because we become like Jesus. That's the goal. That's what he wants to happen. So today, I just want to talk with you about that. I, I want to give you the whys, but I also want to give you the how. How do I get to that point where I am becoming like Jesus? Because that's the only way you can say that. The only time we're going to be like Jesus in the sense of our purity, our freedom from temptation, the only way that, that we're going to be apart from sin is to literally be with Jesus in heaven, either when we die or when he returns. That's the only way that's going to happen. But until then, we can be, be becoming 
like Jesus. We can be growing in faith and in love and devotion to God. That can be happening in our lives. And I suppose if there is one way that I could have First Baptist Church, Covington, Louisiana, described, it would be that that is a church. Those are a people who are becoming like Jesus. Nothing else greater could be said about us. But here's the thing. That, that can happen. That can be true of us. Not that we are beyond sin, not that we get everything right, but we can be people who are growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are progressing in Him, who are day by day, week by week, year by year, becoming more like Jesus. So what are the hows in doing that? Well, it's not, as, as they say, it's not rocket science. It is simply following what Scripture says. It's, it's learning Scripture. It's reading Scripture. It's studying Scripture. It's memorizing Scripture. It's meditating on Scripture. It's praying. It's giving. It's ministering. It's serving. It is getting together with a small group to study Scripture. It's not rocket science, but when we do that, then there are these wide boulevards that help us to become like Jesus, to, to become as he wants us to be. So here, here's the goal. At the end of the service today, here's the goal, that you would say, God, by your help and by your hand, I want to become like you. And day by day, I want to be more like you. If that happens today, today will be a great success. If that happens, your life will be changed. If that happens, my life will be changed. The church will be changed. The community will be changed. If we start looking at the world the way Jesus looks at the world, if we start looking at our neighborhood the way Jesus works at our neighborhood, looks at our neighborhood. So why, why would you say it this way? If you were to say, if you were to come to me and say, okay, uh, I've uh, trusted Christ, I've been baptized, or I'm going to be baptized right away, and I've started my journey with the Lord, what's the next step? Then the next step, automatically, for me and all the members of our pastoral team, we're all on the same page on this. What would be the next step? The next step would be for you to find a small group Bible study and to get to know those people and let them get to know you and you study Scripture together. I often tell people this way because you, you don't want to set them up for things that are not right. I say, now remember, not everybody in there is not going to be perfect. In fact, nobody in there is going to be perfect. But there will be people there who will encourage you and help you in your faith. And there will be people there that you get to help and encourage 
in their faith. So why do we emphasize that? Five reasons. Number one, because you belong to God. Paul said, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. And the price with which you were bought is the blood of the Lord Jesus. We use the word redeem. I only know it two ways. You can redeem a bond. You can buy it back. Or you can talk about being redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And the meaning is the same. When we are redeemed, we are bought. We are bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. We were slaves to sin. We were apart from God. We had gone far away from God. And in the blood of Jesus, Jesus bought us. And he brought us back to him. We have been redeemed. We are his. We belong to him. And if we belong to him, then how in the world can we not seek to please him? And what pleases God? What pleases God is when we, we draw close to him. James, who grew up with Jesus in the household of Joseph and Mary, when he was saved after the resurrection, shortly thereafter, maybe 10 or 15 years, he wrote what you and I know as the biblical, the New Testament book of James. And what did he say? Draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. How can a follower of Christ not seek to please God? Because progressing in Christ pleases God. When we become like Jesus, that's the goal. That's the idea. We become like him. So we belong to God. We're his. And he is ours. And for that reason, we need to be progressing in Christ. We need to be growing in him. We need to be becoming like him more and more every day. A second reason is because God is at work within you. Look at these verses again, Philippians chapter 2. Here's, here's, what, here's what Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends... I think those three words are such beautiful words. My dear friends. That's what Paul thought of the church at Philippi. And frankly, that's what he thought of all the churches where he went. My dear friends. But if, if Paul thought of us in that way, how much more does Jesus thought of, does Jesus think of us in that way? He says, I've called you friends. And you know, there's nothing greater in the world than being called a friend. There's nothing greater than somebody saying, I want to introduce you. This is my friend. What a beautiful thing. Paul said, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, both when I was present and now that I'm absent, continue, keep on. Here's the thing that we have to do. Sometimes we have fits and starts. Sometimes we sputter along the way. Sometimes it, we're not moving full force into becoming like Christ. Paul said, keep 
on becoming like Christ. Keep on growing in him. Keep on working out your salvation with fear and trembling. In a few minutes, we'll talk about what that means and give you a very practical picture of what that looks like. But in verse 13, he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act, to fulfill, in order to fulfill his good purpose. What this means is that you are not very good at changing. And I know you aren't because I know myself, and I certainly know that I'm not. I've done this many times. Today, I'm going to do better. In fact, a lot of times at church, that's just kind of the way you you feel. You come to church, you sing, you pray, you give, you read the word, you hear the word, you everything comes to a grand conclusion, and you say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to come to church more. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more kind. I'm going to be more obedient. Last night, I met a I met a family, people I've known for years, and they introduced me to a, a, a member of the family. And, and so the guy over here, he's telling me, he says, she's everything I'm not. She's patient. And she told me what she did, and she said, I have to be patient. And then she said, I learned to be patient because of my daddy. And what she meant was he wasn't very patient, so she had to learn to be patient. And here's the way most of us are. That, that's, that's, our, that's the who we are. You do things on our own, and we're not very patient. We're not very good. We're not very kind. We can say, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try more. I'm going to do better than I've ever done before. But it just doesn't work. But can I tell you what does work? It's when I say, God, I can't do this, but I want to do this. And I want to be like you. And, and I give him that need in my life. And he begins to do exactly what Paul says. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So God gives us what we need when we draw near to God, when we give ourselves to him, when we open our lives to God. God begins to do that great work within us. So we we do this because God is at work within us. And we are only limited by our stubbornness in refusing to let God work in our lives. But when we let him work, then he brings about the changes that he wants to bring within us. Why do we emphasize connect groups, reading the Bible, praying, giving, working, ministering? Why do we encourage people to progress Because Scripture teaches it. Because it's found from beginning to end. 
that this is the goal, this is the plan, that we become like Jesus, that we live for him and honor him with our lives, and that we allow him to transform us. Paul famously said, don't be conformed to this world. Boy, there's the, there's the problem, isn't it? We're always being conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. You renew your mind when you say, God, I can't do it, but I give it to you to do it and to make a difference in my life. Scripture teaches us. I've, I've been studying through First and Second Thessalonians, and many of you have in your connect groups. And two passages of Scripture that are just so plain and to the point of what Scripture teaches us to do. The first one is Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. And by the way, if you ever read Paul, you'll find that Paul encouraged other people. Now, when he had to call somebody out, he did. But that was rare. Mainly when he spoke to the church, he encouraged the church. He told them, you can do this because God is at work within you. And you have been doing this and you are progressing. Keep on progressing in your faith. Listen to these words. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters. Isn't it beautifully called the, the Philippians, my dear friends. He called the Thessalonians brothers and sisters. He had a love for the church, and we ought always to thank God for you. And rightly so, two reasons. Number one, because your faith is growing more and more. That's the goal. That's the goal for every one of us, that our faith is growing more and more. And the word that is used for growing is the word that is used for a plant that sprouts, that springs up, that grows amazingly. A few, few months ago, I was admiring a plant in our office, meaning a green thing, a plant in our office. And I really like that. Some kind of philodendron, we call them elephant ears, big, big leaves. I just, it just looks good to me. So about two months later, I bragged on that enough times, then all of a sudden there's something like it that shows up in my office. And it gets put over right next where it gets the morning sun. And obviously, everything it needs, it's got. Somebody's watering it, not me. Somebody's fertilizing it, not me. Somebody's doing something. And it's growing. And it is fabulous. That's the word that's used here. That's what God wants our faith to be like. To get the right amount of sun and water and nutrients. Where do you get those? You get them from the Scripture. You get it by practicing your faith, by praying, by serving and ministering in other ways, and you get that, and we grow like a beautiful plant. Paul says, we thank God for you because your faith is growing more 
and more. And look at the next thing that he said, and your love and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. And it's interesting the way Paul talks about it. Because Paul doesn't talk about love the way we do. We talk about love. I have a hard time loving him. We talk about love. There are some people I love, but there are some people I don't love. That's not the way Paul talked about love. That's not the way Jesus talked about love. That's not the way the Scripture talks about love. Isn't it time for the church of God to start making its language fit Scripture instead of fitting the world? We've let the world have too much control over our lives. Paul says, and your love, the love of God in all of you. Paul was not going to have it. That Most people in church are going to be filled with love, but not everybody. No, Paul wasn't going to have that. The love of God that is in all of you, that all of you have for every one of you, think of the significance, is increasing. And it's a different word. This is the word that was used for a flood. I mean, think, we all, we all know about floods. What happens in a flood? April of 2016, not my house, but my neighborhood flooded. It was astounding. It was, I've, we'd lived there 30 years, never seen anything like this before. And we went down to the river and watched where the river used to be and where it was. And every minute we stood there, it got a little wider and it got a little deeper. That's exactly the word that is used here. Your love is increasing. It is getting wider and it is getting deeper day by day. This is the plan of God. This is what Scripture teaches. But look also at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And listen to what Paul says. As for other matters, brothers and sisters calls them that again, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. There's that phrase. We told you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. There's Paul's encouragement. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. We think, well, look, there's this time. You know, I, I trusted Christ, I baptized, I go to a connect group, and now I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I hear senior adults doing this every once in a while. I've, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. It's time for somebody else to do. I just don't think you can find that attitude in Scripture. I don't think you can find in Scripture the attitude of, oh, I have arrived. What did Paul say? Paul said, I haven't arrived. Paul says, I want to do this, but I haven't arrived. God wants us to increase more and more. This is what Scripture teaches. There's a fourth reason why we emphasize this. It's because God has given you a silver mine, and He wants you to work the mine. 
Now, silver mine is not in Scripture. Gold mine's not in Scripture. Coal mine's not, or coal mine or copper mine, that'd be the one to make you the money today. Not in Scripture. But the idea of a mine is. The word work out, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. The, the word picture behind it is having a mine in which you go through the mine looking for valuable gems. What would you do if you had a silver mine? Times I go skiing in Colorado, you leave Denver, you drive up through the mountains, and you see these little holes in the side of the mountain. That's how big they look. They're a lot bigger than that. And the tailings of gold and silver coming down from the mine. What, if, what would you do if you had one of those? My guess is you'd do what I would do. I'd buy me a chisel. And I'd buy me a hammer. And I would find that little vein of silver and I would whack away at it. And I would keep on working at it. That's exactly what Paul says. Keep on working at your salvation. He's not talking working so you can be saved, working because you, you are saved and working in what God has given you to do. Keep on working at it. Get in the mind that God has given you and keep on working out, taking the gems that are there. And what are the gems? And what are the valuables? What are the minerals? Well, it's love and peace and joy and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness, and self-control. Keep on working out your salvation with fear, respect, and awe for God, and trembling, a healthy fear, at offending God. And we all should be so afraid of offending God. Always make it your goal to please Him. And when we become a part of a small group, and we do talk about this. We talk about this for, for two very important reasons. I, I suppose we could talk about it for 50 reasons. I want to give you two reasons. One of them is, it's what it does for the church. And what it does for the church, when you get involved in a small group, you, you make a large church very small. And it brings people together. And it, if you go into that group, it gives you people who will pray for you. And it gives you the privilege of praying for someone else. It's always better... Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know why we ever look at that in the, in the better way, I mean, in the opposite way. Of course, it's better to give than receive. It's always better to be the one who is praying for someone who is sick than to be the one who gets prayed for who is sick. When you go into a small group, you get to do that. 
Do you know what happened in our church? We've, we've been so thankful to God that most of you, and there may be people who are still having to watch by live stream, but most of you have returned to church, so much so that, that we're having more people right now than we did three years ago in the full year before the pandemic. And a lot of you are, are just brand new to us, and we thank God for you. But you know what is happening with most churches like ours? They're not having 100%, 105%. They're having 65 or 70%. And I, I don't presume to know because you, you, you can't know those kind of things. But here's what I think. Our small group Bible studies, those who teach them, those who direct them, those who coordinate them, those who call members... They held our church together during the pandemic. You did this. You made it happen. Because there are five or six or 7,000 of you, and there are like 12 or 13 of us pastors, so we couldn't hold you all together. We didn't call that group of people. But if you are a leader of a small group or a pair coordinator in a small group, you've got 30 or 40 or 50 people, well, you can call them. And we are convinced that our church was held together by our small groups working, working out their salvation with fear and trembling. But it also doesn't just help the church, it helps you. Because we, we kind of become like the people we're around. You've seen that at work. You, you get in with a grumbling, arguing, angry group at work, and you look at the, uh, the leadership in a different way, and you, you, you hate coming to church, you don't come into work, and you don't want to be a part of that. But if you get in a group that meets and wants to work and wants to make the business work and even better, that prays with you, then you look forward to coming to work and to being a part of that. It so works in the same way with us. And so when we get with people, although imperfect, when we get around people who love God and want to please God and want to become like Christ, it makes all the difference in the world. So take the mind that God has given you and put it to work, bringing us what God wants us to be. Why do we do this? Why do we emphasize progressing it's because you have been chosen and set apart for God's purpose. Chosen. God chose you. God set you apart. That's what the word holy means. It's what the word saint means. It means somebody set apart for God's purpose. It's not talking about super Christians. It's talking about followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who belong to him and live for him and seek to be like him. So we're called to holiness and we're called to purity and we're called to devotion. We're called to live for God and to please him, and to become like Jesus. And this is what I want to ask you to do today. I want to ask you 
to say to God, God, I want to be like Jesus. Now, I know some of you find that hard to say, but it's in Scripture, and it's obviously meant that that's what we would do. So I want to ask you to pray today, God, I want to be like Jesus. But I also know that maybe there are people who are struggling with faith. And maybe you would say, I don't know if I want to be like Jesus. So here's what I encourage you to say. God, I am willing for you to make me want to be like Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen in our fellowship of believers if all of us sought to be like Jesus? Can you imagine what would happen in our community, in our neighborhoods? But better than that, in our own little families. If we all sought to be like Jesus. I want to ask you today as I pray. I want to ask you, would you... Take about five more minutes with me and take this very seriously today in which we quietly remain in place and say to God, God, I want to be like you. And I am willing for you to work in my life to make me want to be like you. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to pray in that way, seriously before God, to live for Him. God, I thank you for every person here. Dear God, these are my dear friends. These are my brothers and sisters, and I thank you for them, and I pray your blessings upon them. God, I pray that this would be a transformative worship experience in which we as a body say unto you, God, we want to be like you, and we are willing for you to make us want to be like you more. God, would you do that in our congregation, in this fellowship? And God, would you take away the limits, the fears, the embarrassment, the whatever gets in our way of of truly getting with you. Would you remove those? Would you draw people who are not yet believers to you in faith who would come and publicly talk with the pastor and profess their faith in you? And God, would you draw those people who just need to pray and need to get their lives on a different trajectory? God, would you do that so that they would come and pray? God, please speak to our hearts. And we pray this.